Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Sherry Keffer. Dr. Sherry Keffer is a regular co-host of the nationally syndicated radio show, New Life Live, with an audience of over 2 million people each week. For nearly 20 years, she's been working as a marriage and family therapist in Newport Beach, California. Through her own personal story, Dr. Sherry understands the trauma often associated with sexual betrayal. As a certified clinical partner specialist, certified sex addiction therapist, and a consultant in EMDR, she brings new tools and a fresh look at what's needed to help heal. Dr. Sherry's a keynote speaker and author of the book, Intimate Deception, Healing the Wounds of Sexual Betrayal, founder of BraveOne.com and Retreat bravery after betrayal. It takes fierce strength where she unpacks how betrayal affects the mind, body, spirit, and sexuality. Dr. Sherry holds a degree in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary, and you can follow her on social media at Dr. Sherry Keffer. Buckle up, everyone. You're about to meet a fierce advocate helping others heal from betrayal. Dr. Sherry is going to explain what happens when we're betrayed, the reasons why we don't seek support, what it causes, and what happens when we find the right help. You're going to get so much out of this episode. Let's get started. Here's Dr. Sherry. Okay, everybody, you are in for such a treat because I have Dr. Sherry Keffer with us and she is going to be talking all things betrayal. Now, I know you're you're listening to this because you're struggling with the betrayal of a family member, partner, friend, self. And we have such an expert today who speaks about um, romantic betrayal. And, and we're really going to dive in and giving you tools and resources and strategies. And I'm going to stop talking so she can just start. So welcome, Dr. Sherry. Hey, it's great to be with you, Debbie. It's really great to be. I'm so glad you're here. Let's just get started. I I love, love, love the title of your book, Intimate Deception. Tell us about that. So, you know, I chose that title specifically because everybody has heard about sexual betrayal. But my research, when I sat with men and women, both, but my research was with 100 women. And what I found out is when I asked them two questions, I said, all right, I've been through this myself, but what do you think is more painful? Is it the sexual acts that actually happened that you know of, or is it the continued pattern of lies and the deception? 65% of the women said, it's the deception. It's that ongoing lies. It's being with someone who you trusted, who you knew was there to protect you, to love you, to guard your heart, to be true to you. And they're the one that is actually causing the harm. And, you know, I love that you brought that up. I remember when I was doing my research, reading a study, and it was the difference in the type of betrayal that uh, where men find it more challenging and women find it more challenging. And I remember reading about how uh, men find sexual betrayal more challenging than women. Women find emotional betrayal more challenging. And I think it, and it went all the way back to, I guess it, it was, I think it was something like with women, emotional betrayal means that their mate is not available to them, you know, for, to, to have kids and everything. And, uh, sexual betrayal for a man was 
where they couldn't bear children or something like that. And I remember thinking, wow, it was such a difference in both men and women. But it was the deception that you found was a harder hit. It's a big hit. And, you know, I haven't done we have like a truth telling process in my chapter to tell the truth. I talk about that. But oftentimes the one who's betrayed can choose to use a polygraph. And I haven't had one partner, one betrayed partner who is a female not want to ask one question. And that's, did you love that person? Right? So what you're saying is true is I want to know it hurts me even more to know that you were attached to her, that you loved her, that you cared for her, that you bought her gifts. I mean, all of it hurts, right? Debbie, we both know that, Mm -hmm. but the more intimate, the more emotional, the longer that relationship is, um, the more compulsive the sexual behavior is. It is harmful to us. In fact, my research also showed, I I used um, some tools that have been very recognized, like a PCL5, I'm sure you know about that, but it has to do with post-traumatic stress and um, symptoms. And 76% of the women had clinical symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And we don't think about that. It's crazy. That's the same thing that happens with military folk that are coming back or first responders or someone who dies. You have post-traumatic stress symptoms. But my study has, you know, is now other people are doing it, using that and looking at it. It's, It's true. It hurts us. I love that you're bringing that up because I really believe I see it where it's so minimized and, and women are struggling, men are struggling and they're, they're experiencing PTSD symptoms and no one's believing them. No one's believing them. And they think it's sort of reserved for someone in combat, but it's not, it's It's not, not. it's very, very real. So how do you, first, well, I want to know, let's start with your story because, you know, I imagine just like me, you don't study something like betrayal unless you have to. It's true. And you know, the, the study you don't want to do is the one you live, right? I mean, and that, and my book came out of my own personal story of what I, I talk about a lot, which is digging out. How do you dig out? Because there wasn't really anybody or resources when this happened to me, but I was actually married to a clergyman. So a, a pastor, some a, a man of the cloth and what happened during our marriage is pornography affairs, prostitutes, the whole gamut. And so here we are uh, looking like this couple, you know, up in front of other people in a respected position in a congregation and all the stuff was going on uh, under the hood. And I found out about it um, within the first six months of our marriage because my husband, who I call Connor, began to pull away from me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm a newlywed. You know, I was um, excited to have sex. I was excited to be married. I was excited to be in a relationship. And I didn't understand what the pulling away was about. In fact, I remember one morning, Debbie, when I was, um, he was washing the dishes, right? We had just eaten and and I went up to him and I was like, oh, you know, and I nibbled on his ear and he pulled away as if he was repulsed. Mm. None of that made sense to me. And I actually personalized all of it. I was going to ask you, what did you, what did you make of that? Yeah. I I thought, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't he want to be with me? Why is he, when we did, when we weren't sexual, right after we made love the next day, he was really critical with me. 
and he would kind of be on edge. And I remember calling my best friend at that time and asking her, I said, hey, Julie, when you and Kevin are together, you know, when you're intimate, what's it like the day after? And she's like, oh my gosh, we're, we're connected. We're closer. It's like oil in our relationship. And I, I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. But what I didn't know, Debbie, is that there was a whole dark side. There was the pornography and ongoing in our relationship. There was affairs and prostitutes and all. I didn't know that was happening until we were married just about a year. And and it came out. Um, it, It came out through a series of events. But that, as soon as I found out about the pornography everything started making sense. I mean, I was devastated laying on my back in pain, right? But I, it was like, all of a sudden I went, oh, there's something else in here that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And there's there's that shock right there. But but I imagine it was also really confusing because here he's portraying himself as one type of person in front of everyone else and clearly a different type of person with you. So So what'd you do? Well, I'm going to be honest with you and, and, and everyone. I, I basically, what happened to me is something called um, betrayal blindness. It's a concept by Dr. Jennifer Freyd, who talks about the impact of betrayal and how we don't want to see what we don't want to see. It, it's, it's like that mind-numbing, I don't want to know more. Because if I know more and I see more, then I'm going to have to do something about it. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but for four years, I kept the secret from myself. And you talked about self-betrayal, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it, it was that, not because I was wrong and bad, but because I was so overwhelmed by the trauma and the impact of it, it, it shattered my world. And so mm-hmm. I didn't want to look at the pieces of glass on the floor. I just wanted to pretend or not want to know more in order to protect myself from the hurt and the pain. And so in my book, there's a little piece that's called the end of pretend, Mm -hmm. which means at some point I I got depressed. And at some point I had to wake up from this nightmare I was living in that I really didn't want to look at. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought up Jennifer Freed. I, I remember reading so many of her, of her studies and, it was, it's so interesting. Betrayal blindness, you would think it's because we just don't want to deal with something, but it is just such a protective mechanism. It's what we're doing to protect ourselves from something so painful that we just, on some level, where we're not yet ready to deal with our face. But the body knows. And, and I know. So you say that. So mm-hmm. the body, I often say, and you and I are so similar in our work. So I often say the body is that dashboard in the car. It's the mm-hmm. red lights that goes on. It's the dings that start to happen. You're, you're driving along and all of a sudden you notice something's wrong with your car. You don't want something to be wrong with your car, but something is lit up. Well, the body, if it, if we're betraying, you know, not looking as a self-protective measure, our body is the most honest member Mm -hmm. of ourselves. And so depression, that darkness, that pain, that ache started closing in on me. And I physically started collapsing on the inside. And it wasn't until I got clinically depressed that I ended up reaching out for help. And it ended up being one of the other staff members 
the pastors on staff and I just shared what was going on. And it was like dominoes starting to methodically fall. And we ended up in um, somewhat of an intervention and then went into a treatment facility for pastors and wife with issues. And, uh, and you know, we, we had to leave the, the ministry, which was a good thing for us because, mm-hmm. you know, we were struggling and we needed some help and we just couldn't do it um, and be fake at the same time. Yeah. So there's so much to unpack right there. First of all, let's go back to how your body responded. So you said you were depressed. Do you remember any other physical symptoms that you had? Were there any others that showed up for you? Yeah. So, I mean, initially I was anxious, hypervigilant. Um, I felt my hands shaking. This is when I first found out. But you stay in that chronic place of hypervigilance and and anxiety, and then your body eventually starts to collapse. It goes from fight or flight into more of a freeze or collapse mode. So after four years of keeping everything down, um, I my depression looked like um, incredible sadness. Um, I can only tell you this by describing it, but even the rooms, like my bedroom or the room that we were at when I let let the information out, it's like the corners were closed in. Mm-hmm. I wasn't motivated. I couldn't get up in the morning. I didn't care to shower. In fact, I got to tell you guys this. So there was a period of time when I didn't shower. And I think that was also a coping strategy. Um, But I was so down that I went weeks without showering. And it wasn't until Connor said to me, he said, hey, you know, it's kind of personal, but I just wanted to let you know that I've just kind of noticed that you've not been showering for a while. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until he told me that, that I realized how shut down I was. Um, I was embarrassed and I, you know, there's a little bit of embarrassment in telling the story, but I do because it's so real, Debbie. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that I was depressed. I was doing my best to try to make it through every day, but my body was telling me the truth and Mm -hmm. I was shutting down. And that's what happens. It it is just, and, and what I love about what you're sharing is there are so many people shaking their head right now saying, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Because that's what happens. Our our bodies are responding. We don't know what to do. We've been blindsided by the people we trusted the most. So talk to us about when you started opening up. First of all, I can, I've been there. So I know how terrifying that could be, uh, how scary it is to be that vulnerable. What was, what was the, how did it, what did it take for you to open up and what was the response? So, you know what I've discovered, and I didn't know this when I was actually going through it. It came out of just years of trying to dig out and understand my help, my heart, my mind, and what happened to me. But when we experience betrayal trauma, the brain does a tricky thing. In order to protect ourselves, it wires in shame about us, a shame belief about us. And they sound like this, I'm not enough. I can't trust anyone. I'm not good enough. I'm not sexy enough. I can't even trust my own judgment. I'm out of control. I I, um, am powerless. I'm helpless. Um, I should have done something. I mean, all that sludge, like like Velcro, Mm -hmm. we get sludged like tar babies. And so that shame on that we get 
as a self-protective measure, our brain's trying to help us because think about it. If I believe all that, am I going to go out and talk to my friends? Am I going to tell them what's going on? Am I going to be up and no, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be more secluded. And that's what happens to partners like you and I, when we, when we experience that betrayal trauma, we pull away. So I got to tell you, Debbie, it took me so long to reach out to help. And, and to get help. And my friends, like I mentioned, my friend, Julie, I had a couple of girlfriends that wouldn't judge me mm-hmm. when I shared what was going on because I was still married and I was so afraid if they judged him, I hadn't really sorted out what I wanted to do yet. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Right. But as I began to trust a couple friends, I found out that a couple of other friends judged me, pulled away. It's like I had leprosy. It's like mm-hmm. they didn't want their husband around me or they didn't want their husband to get it. Like and it's so, contagious. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was crickets for a while. And it wasn't until we went into a treatment center that I talked to a counselor for the first time and um, began to just talk about what was going on. And back in that day, and things are changing now, they started initially going into my family of origin and really kind of making it about me. They began to say, well, how did you choose this? Or phrases like, well, you were two heat-seeking missiles. You found each other. You were kind of, you know, jacked up from your family of origin and, and so was he. So you kind of found each other. But you know what, Debbie, that's changed in the mm-hmm. last few years. Now therapists, clinicians are starting to look at it from a betrayal perspective, which means I've got to treat the betrayal trauma first. Mm -hmm. I can't go back right away into family of origin because somebody is bleeding out, you know, from the betrayal. It'd be like you and me having a car accident where we um, hurt our head and we go into the emergency room with a broken arm. And it'd be like the doctor coming up to us, looking at us going, oh, So can you tell me about what happened when you fell out of the tree when you were eight years old? Exactly. And and this is the part that's so infuriating because I don't know of many therapists and I hear it from from my clients or people in the program all the time. And the most well-meaning therapists are doing more harm than good because their, their sole intention is to, let's say, have the betrayed communicate better. Or something I like guess. that. And or, no one or, is dealing with the 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 blind side the being blindsided or the shock or the the pain of just really having everything and, and that person that they've counted on completely betray them. It's exactly true. And so it undermines what's happening. It makes the betrayal stuff just last longer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't address um, the dishonesty and the deception. And so I I say a partner who is betrayed needs two things. It's critical to heal, like two pillars. They need safety and they need the truth. Mm-hmm. And until they have those two things, a betrayed partner cannot settle into their body. Mm-hmm. They cannot be at rest because as long as you don't know what has happened or what you're living, sitting on, you know, like a powder keg, you can't relax in your body. Your and body. What- and we'll always think the worst anyway. So we're better off knowing the truth. And, and then that's that's the basis that we can Absolutely. we can start to grow from. So tell us the process of rebuilding, whether it's reconciling or not. Yeah. So I say it looks like this. So the process of rebuilding starts with us first. 
we have got to get the healing. We've got to help ourselves heal from the shame that is not about you, but what happened to you. We've got to help learn how to take care of our bodies like no other time in our lives. Um, and that, that's why I wrote my book, Debbie, is because I felt like partners who are betrayed don't really know the roadmap. They don't know what they need to do to heal. And so the first step of recovery, whether you're staying with your partner or not, is recovery for yourself. Because you can't fight for that relationship if you're laying flat on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so it is care for your mind, getting your truth back on. It's care for your body, learning self-care, learning how to um, mitigate the emotions. It's sometimes it's having to go to the doctor. And I had to do this because I ended up with STDs. And I talk about that in my book only because I want women to know that it's real or men, right? I mean, I want people to know it happens. And, and so you've got to take care of yourself. Um, I think another part of the healing and recovery is getting the couple into a truth telling process through something called a therapeutic full disclosure. Now, this is very different than somebody getting caught. This is very different than somebody confessing to do a handful of things. Okay, 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 I'll tell you. I da-da-da-da. And then the betrayed partner says, is that it? Is there more? And then they're like, no, 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 there's not more. But when, when betrayal comes out like that, it's kind of like these mini grenades in our hands. Mm -hmm, it just mm -hmm. blows us up again because there's more dishonesty. So recovery looks like getting into a, with a well-trained person that understands how to do a therapeutic full disclosure that can help both the betraying party and the one that's betrayed move through that process with integrity and honesty. Mm -hmm. And then many times, like I mentioned earlier, there's a polygraph that's attached to that. And, and again, it's, it's kind of like, so you don't get this truth telling that is, um, what they want to share, you know, not what they think would hurt you. And so it does make them more honest, typically, even though a polygraph isn't foolproof, but, you know, it adds another layer. And then there is, you know, getting into recovery, right? There's 12-step groups for those that are compulsively betraying. They need to get in and start doing the work, get a sponsor, um, dealing with all that sexual acting out. And then there are betrayal trauma recovery groups for mm -hmm the partner, either men or women that have experienced the other side so that you can start working on getting yourself back. Absolutely. Um, so what are some tools that you found really helpful? I know you mentioned EMDR uh, earlier. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Is that something that you, that you think really is, is helpful? Yes. So I love EMDR. And when someone first comes to me, Debbie, I don't do EMDR with betrayed partners right away. And, and first, let's make sure we explain it to everybody. Okay. What is EMDR? Yeah. So thank you. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it is, it is a process whereby you connect through bilateral stimulation, either through your eyes or through buzzers or through tones. They've got different tools that are used, but it connects your thoughtful brain and your emotional brain. And let me tell you why you need that. Because when trauma happens, your thoughtful brain wires in that shame belief 
with some feelings Mm -hmm. that are attached to it. And that gets frozen in space and time in our brain, kind of like a hairball of pain. Mm -hmm. It takes up a lot of energy and it's just you know, it's up there. And, and so what fires together wires together mm-hmm. and that trauma event wires all that in. Well, guess what? EMDR is kind of like a soldering iron for the brain, meaning it kind of heats up that old memory that you have, heats up those negative beliefs. You actually find out what they are and then the emotions, and then it changes them. It moves you out of believing the negative, like I can't trust anyone, and it moves you into the truth, which mm-hmm. is I can choose whom to trust. Or it moves you out of I'm not enough to I am enough. Uh, or I should have done something to I did the best I could. And what's so important about what you're saying is talk therapy is wonderful, but we need these tools because it, it is, I mean, this gets lodged in the cells. Yes, it and does. it stays there until it's released. So there are so many wonderful tools, tools, EMDR being one of them. And I, I love, I love that you shared that. So what happens when you, cause I'm sure you've worked with couples where sometimes they're not willing to be honest or they're not willing to be truthful or what do you suggest? I mean, what happens in those cases? Is there, I mean, is there any hope or what do you recommend to the betrayed when, when that's what they're working with? Okay. So this is what I recommend. So when someone is not wanting to be honest, um, I call it having their cake and eating it too, right? They want to be able to live the life with you, but they want to be able to keep acting out. And that's what happened to Connor and I for the term of our marriage. In fact, we were in therapy, Debbie, for four years Mm -hmm. and going once a week, myself, he was going once a week and then we were doing couples work. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of therapy. But the whole time, I didn't know, and my therapist didn't know he was having an affair. We didn't have that truth-telling process. So part of why I'm so passionate about that is when someone is in what's called denial. Now, I want to say this. Denial can be really confusing for a betrayed partner. Like, what do you mean they're in denial? They know what they're doing. And now that I'm working with people that struggle with sexual compulsivity as a certified sex addiction therapist, what I've discovered is they do know what they're doing. They just don't want to admit it, don't want to look at it. They feel entitled to it. They've created this own story in their mind as to why it's okay for them to do that. That's Mm -hmm. called denial. They defend, they hide. So part of my job as a clinician is to wake them up. They've got to be woken up. And so going to, and, and I don't, I'm just going to say this. If you're interested in getting somebody to work with you that's trained in this, you can go to itap.com, I-I-T-A-P.com, or you can go to um, APSATS, A-P-S-A-T-S dot org. Mm-hmm. Now, these folks are trained to wake people up because if we don't get them out of denial, Debbie, what happens as clinicians is we we get into the deception. We're actually allowing the deception to continue. A lot of people coddle deceivers mm-hmm. and they they don't, they know they push back and they say, well, they're in denial. They're not ready. And I go, well, we got to make them ready. Mm-hmm. We have to have a series of steps. You just don't go, well, someone's not ready. So we just all kind of wait for them to wake up. They don't want to wake up. 
Mm-hmm. So we have to be very proactive in getting in front of good therapists that know what they're doing with sexual deception. Yeah. And that's a powerful one because, you know, when you, when you think about it, people don't change un- unless they want to, or unless yeah. they have to, you know, yeah. so getting them to the point that they realize they, they need to, whether it's for the sake of the relationship or, or whatever, that's, that's a, that's an interesting job because it's, I imagine if they're not ready, it's, it's going to take a lot to wake that person up. So you mentioned they have to, and that was wisdom on your part, Debbie, because when they have to means I've put a boundary down and my boundary might be until we start getting more honest, I might, I'm going to ask you to sleep in the other room because I need to be safe. I don't know what's going on. Or it might be that I'm worried about our kids. I'm worried about our family. And so I might need to have you step out of our home for a period of time until you let me know that you're really ready to move into more honesty. So laying boundaries down that are self-protective, not punishing in nature, but self-protective as you value yourself and say, I am worth knowing the truth and I can't live on a powder cake. And this is so important to, to mention because so many people that I'm working with, they come to the table with, well, I'm not worthy and deserving and maybe this is all I should expect. And that is the kiss of death right there. You're Be- right. Because You're that right. needs to be built up. And what's so interesting, I said, I always ask, well, would you do that? Would you be okay with that? Would you accept that? You know, or would you would you ever do that to someone else? And they never in their wildest dreams would they cause the same hurt to someone, but they're so willing to accept it. And that's where the work is right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you want to make sure everybody knows before we wrap up? So let me tell you, I want you to know that it's not about you, it's about what's happened to you. The second thing I want you to know is you are worth fighting for. You are an amazing person that didn't deserve this. And I don't care what's flashing up in your mind right now. You might be saying, well, she doesn't know me. If she only knew this, I get it. That's that shame that got attached to us. So you are worth fighting for. The third thing I want to say to you is please, 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 don't do this alone. I did it. It didn't work. We didn't have help or intervention. And because of that, things got worse. I don't want that for you. I want you to reach out to Dr. Debbie, to myself, to Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. um, And because I want you to get with other people that are that are learning what to do in this very painful situation. There's, there's armies out there rising up. When mm-hmm. I say that, I'm just mm-hmm. being honest. There are advocates that are starting to say, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so you get with a group like that. You find your group and you begin to get support while you're going through this process. And then I want to give you hope. And I want to say this. There, there's an ancient Hebrew word um, that's called uh, kaveh. And what it means is Kaveh has to do with being hooked to something addictive. Like in this case, it's lust, being hooked to lust. That's, it's an ancient Hebrew word, Kaveh. Well, the similar word to it is Ava, which stands for hope. And what hope means in this ancient Hebrew is what comes after the nail. And I see so often 
partners, couples that are willing to do the work, I know them personally and I see them now become advocates of change because they've taken this painful situation, they've dug deep, they've confessed, they've gone through a truth-telling process, they've gotten more trustworthy, there's been healing and restoration over time They've become safe and truth tellers. And then that, that, that couple actually begins living in truth, living in hope, living in connection. And there it is possible to change. And it's also an incredibly different relationship than the one that they had before. And very often yeah. much better, much better. It, so I Dr. Know. Sherry, how do we find out more about you? Where do we go? Yeah. So my website is braveone.com. It's B-R-A-V-E-O-N-E.com. Would love to have you come there and check out. Um, I've got some free resources there for you. I'm also giving away today um, free to all your listeners, healthy sexuality, which is what's the difference between healthy sexuality and unhealthy sexuality. And so I have a whole list of, you can see both sides and go, okay, uh, there's some changes that need to happen or, hey, we're doing really good in this way. The other thing that I'm um, giving away and I'm excited to meet one of your listeners, I have something called um, Have Coffee with Dr. Sherry. And it's an hour with me where you can share with me what's going on and I can help to triage your situation and get you into the right hands wherever you are. So we're going to be giving that away as well. And then I wanted to mention, I've got um, three-day weekends, retreats that I'm doing um, in September. September and um, November. And so if you are hearing us today and you feel very stuck um, and you need some work over a three-day weekend with where you can be with others and get connected, I want you to come. It's called Bravery After Betrayal. It takes fear strength retreat. And it would be great to have you there. And last but not least, my book, it's called Intimate Deception, Healing the Wounds of Sexual Betrayal. So if you're out there and you listen today and you liked some of what we said and you want to know more, there are 20 chapters that are power packed with what it takes for you to heal yourself and to also be set up in a position where you can have the best chance of healing your relationship. Wonderful. So you heard it, everybody. Dr. Sherry shared some major truth bombs and some incredibly generous resources. I, I just want to thank you so much. Really, I feel like I could have spoken with you all day. We may need to bring you back. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie. <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. And uh, for tuning in, Dr. Sherry, for your wisdom. And um, really, there are so many people shaking their heads, nodding in agreement, saying, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. And I can heal from this. So we appreciate you. So I hope you learned that you're not crazy, you're not alone, and you can heal. Dr. Sherry gave you lots of ideas to think about and take advantage of her generous offer by going to braveone.com. And we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. It's nearly impossible to rebuild with the person who hurt you if you don't have the truth. Like Dr. Sherry said, each truth is like a little grenade, but it's what you need so that you can create a new foundation, whether that's for you or for you both. Most importantly, you need to heal. So find the right support along with the right modalities and practices that work best for you. And I've mentioned so many in previous episodes 
And Dr. Sherry gave us a great one here, EMDR. Of course, betrayal leaves lots of cleanup in its wake and there be there will be lots of lingering symptoms you're trying to manage. So find out what those symptoms are that may be lingering for you by taking the post-betrayal syndrome quiz at pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.